0: Before we begin, let's once again, very briefly, lift our hearts up to the Lord and ask for His assistance, the assistance of the Holy Spirit, that Christ might be revealed to sinners and that His saints also may be blessed. Holy Father, we now come, and it is in the name of our Lord Jesus that we come boldly because He is worthy. But Father, we are still mindful that we are flesh and that We depend upon His worthiness so much. We depend upon Him completely. So, Father, we ask now that you would open the ears of your people and give them grace. Open the eyes of sinners who are blind to their own sin and give them Father life. Father, we also pray that the gospel today may be preached throughout the world. May those in Afghanistan and may those in Haiti and may those around the world hear your truth. And may your Holy Spirit give life to as many as as you have given. So, Father, we pray that these things be done for your glory. And they will be done, Father, for the saving of many people. We are so thankful that the salvation of our souls bring glory to you. And so may your name be lifted up and may you be glorified. We pray this in our Lord's name. Amen. Amen this is a new chapter in Hebrews chapter 10 and you'll notice that many of these topics that we'll be looking at will be uh, from one perspective uh, rather redundant and there may be things that are going to be repeated but also they're given from a different perspective and sometimes the writer of the book of Hebrews will say something that's very similar to what he's already said but then bring it up with a different perspective and so that is probably what will happen many times In the course of this particular chapter, chapter 10. I would like to go over briefly what we did last week, a review of last week's message, and we looked at the end of chapter 9 in the book of Hebrews, and we saw how the Lord had said that there was a correlation between the finished work of Christ and how he would come again. And the writer said it this way that man is appointed unto, it is appointed unto man to die, and then the judgment. And then he made that correlation saying that our Lord Jesus Christ died once for all and that he would come again to save us from this world. You know, at that time there would be judgment and at that time we would receive new bodies appropriate to be in his presence forever. And so we used the scriptures to teach these things. In Psalm 116, we also saw when man is appointed to die, that precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. And it is. It is very precious to the Lord that when his saints die. Now these are some of the things that we looked at because we had the idea, and I presented the idea, that we all, and I gave myself as the example, I do, I I want to, and I know it sounds strange, I want to die well. But I believe that all of us would like to be presented at that time with grace. And we had five very brief things. During our time here, serving God, we don't want to be among those who had abandoned God at any time. And it is not hard for the flesh to do this. We saw on that night when He was praying, in Matthew 26, He said He came to His disciples and found them sleeping. And He said to Peter, could you not watch with me just one hour? And so when the time comes for us to meet our god i would say that let's not be sleeping but let's be watchful secondly i don't want to bring dishonor to god and neither does anyone i don't believe that his people do we don't want to be an embarrassment to the lord and so we also read in the scriptures for whomever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in his glory of his Father with his holy angels. And so we all want to walk with him now to bring glory to him, not dishonor. Thirdly, we said that we did not want to be traitors to God. Now I know that that sounds like, well, surely there's, we wouldn't be a traitor to God. We would not be a Judas. But remember how Judas betrayed our Lord. In Luke 22, Jesus said to him, Judas... Would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Many times we have an outward love of God more than we have an inward love. And sometimes even our kisses can be tainted with the traitorous deeds of the flesh. And so we don't want to have that type of life now. We want to be with the Lord on His side and we want to have within us A heart that is not hypocritical, but one who fears God in love and devotion. And fourthly, we don't want to be unprepared for our death. We said that uh, there's been a phrase that we want to grab the gusto of all that you can get in life. And, you know, you need to get that bucket list and start checking those things off. Well, eternity is also very long and it needs to be prepared for. Life may be short here, and it is. But eternity is long and we need to prepare. Do not be unprepared for your death. We want to glorify God in our death. We want to direct the attention of all of our loved ones, the one we leave behind, the ones that we leave behind here. We want to direct them to the holiness and graciousness of God in our passing. When we leave this world, we want others to have have their eyes directed to Christ. And so with that, we, we said with Moses in Psalm 90, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And remember that precious in the sight of our Lord is the death of His saints. So with that, let us go on to chapter 10. We'll be looking at the first four verses. And I have a very lengthy doctrinal statement. Now, I can say it in just a very brief set of words. And so the doctrine that I want you to, to grab today... Is simply said like this: Our salvation is perfect and complete. Okay, so I'm going to be going into that statement and kind of put a lot of meat on the uh, on the bones of that. But if you you know if you get start off with the idea that our salvation is perfect and complete, I think we'll have a good way of understanding this. So when God provides us salvation, we know that we can be preserved by God by our perseverance. The man that is preserved by God shall persevere to the end. That is something that we learn from the scriptures. We shall be made complete in Christ, and our sanctification can be seen in three different perspectives. Now I have preached the gospel in the past, and I've said this many times, that there are two things that you need to really be aware of, justification and sanctification. But there's also something else, glorification. Now, if you've ever had to sit down on a stool, uh, the most unstable stool you can make is, has four legs because they all got to be perfectly aligned. They all have to be the same size. But you know what? You put three legs on a stool, it never wobbles. It just doesn't. Okay. So when it comes to understanding the the stability of salvation, we have the justifying work of Christ. God, who is holy, justifies the ungodly. Now that gives us courage of heart to have our sin addressed without fear of condemnation. Now that goes right into the second one, sanctification. We need to be holy because God is holy. And how can we be in His presence while entertaining sin? And therefore, justification, sanctification. And then there will come a time when we will be saved from the very presence of sin. He'll give us a body appropriate to be in His presence And so, those three things, justification, sanctification, glorification. Now, we, in this perfect and complete salvation, shall be united to Christ. We are effectively and effectually called, and we are actually regenerated. They have, that is, we have, a new heart and a new spirit created within us through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. We also continue to grow in this grace by His Word and by the Spirit of the Lord dwelling within us. The dominion of the whole body of sin that we lived under is destroyed. Its authority, its completeness, that dominion is destroyed. But there is remaining sin within us that we struggle with, but the dominion of sin is destroyed. The numerous types of sinful desires in our old lives are more and more weakened and mortified by the things we learn from scriptures and by the teaching of the Holy Spirit within us. While at the same time, we are more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces. God leads us to practice true holiness without which no man will see the Lord. This sanctification is throughout the entire whole man. That is why our salvation must be complete. Yet while in this life, while we have this flesh, our sanctification is incomplete because we struggle with this every day, because this is a process. Justification is something that is completed. We, do not, we are not involved in that process. When we receive a new body, that will be done in the twinkling of an eye, and we will not be involved in that process. But we are now in the flesh with the truth of our justification and the hope of our glorification involved in the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And it is not complete now, but it shall be complete. It is a complete, perfect work. And we shall be abiding in this life with the remnants of the corruption of our flesh in every part of us. From this abiding imperfection in our flesh, we continue in an irreconcilable war against our sin. The flesh is desiring to war against the Spirit of God and against our own spirit. And the Holy Spirit is working with our spirit and is warring against the flesh within us. So during this continual warfare against sin in ourselves, we may see this internal corruption prevail in us for a time, but not permanently. Yet, through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying Spirit of Christ, the regenerate part within us will overcome. By God's grace, saints will grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And by God's grace, the saints will press on after a holy life and evangelical obedience to all the commands of Christ. So that is our doctrinal statement. Rather lengthy, is it not? But remember this, our salvation is perfect and complete. That is what we need to take home from that. So let me read the very first verse again, because our lesson will be taken mainly from that. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Now that word perfect is a correct translation. But there is also an understanding of what this word means, which is complete. God has given us a complete salvation. So let's go on with observations of what we find in verses 1 through 4, so that we understand what the words mean, and then we'll go on to our practical applications. So let me read once again, and I'll read it slowly so that you can see that the important part of this verse is that sacrifices cannot make these people that come to God in this way, perfect or complete, but you see that implies that there is a perfect way, Mm -hmm. does it not? So, from that, first we are reminded that the shadow is simply not as good as the realities that they represent. Now, this is not to say that God had a bad shadow. No, the shadow is perfect. It's a perfect shadow. You see, shadows are not meant to perform the work, they are meant to show you the truth that performs the work. So it's very the very nature of a shadow is to be less than the object that they are projected from. The shadows can only show what is true. They themselves are empty. The writer very strongly implies that the Jews were holding on to these things for their salvation and not the things that they represented. They were holding on to the Old Testament law and that they continuously offered sacrifices. They believed that these sacrifices could not by their very, they, they believed that those sacrifices which could not by their very nature save or by their very nature, they could not stop offering them. They had to continuously offer them. They believed that there would never be a time when a sacrifice would ever stop. They needed to do this continuously. So, we should make a note right here. We should kind of stop and pause and make sure that we understand that these shadows are these patterns of the true. And not very, you know, so that's an important concept that these are patterns. Very much like a carpenter would take a blueprint and he's going to build something, but he only has a pattern. And what we see in the ceremonial items that are in the law given to Moses is that there was a pattern. So, let's take a pause here and say that these shadows are primarily designed to show us similarities between the symbol and what is symbolized. There are similarities. Primarily, it's to be shown that this is like that. However, at this point, we need to take a good look at the shadow. And though we can learn what, it, what the object of its truth is similar to, There's also a way of looking at this to see what the object is not. The very nature of the shadow is not that it is real. Its very nature is that it is real. The writer is now pointing out something that is in contrast rather than in comparison. Compare this, compare that. But now it's in contrast. There's something actually very different. There is something in the ceremony that enables the reader to understand the truth that even uh, that just, just because there is something that is very different, the fact that these must be done over and over again is in contrast to the hope that our Christ, now they should be hoping, we, have looked, we look back in hope, but they should have realized that there would be a time when this symbol would give them the clue that there would be a time when only one sacrifice would be offered. We see it clearly in the fact that the writer makes the astute observation that a person coming to God by these sacrifices can never stop presenting these sacrifices. There is no end in sight. But these sacrifices will never make the person coming to God perfect or complete. However, our salvation as taught in many places, is sufficient. Now, that's almost an understatement, is it not? Sometimes, when a person is evaluated, and if they, uh, they have their manager come to them and they say, well, what do you think of my work? And if he said, well, that's sufficient, you're almost disappointed, aren't you? It's like, well, that's an average job. You, you did what you were supposed to do. But when you see the hopelessness of a human soul, the hopelessness that men cannot save themselves, Sufficiency to save to the uttermost forever is a tremendous thing, is it not? Mm -hmm. To know of the sufficiency of Christ is to know that he is able to overcome everything that hinders us from being in his presence. Our salvation is perfect and it is complete in Christ. Verse number two. Otherwise, this is the verse, otherwise they would have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience of sins. So the writer is actually continuing his logic to say this, these people should have known that this would come to an end because no end is offered in it. It had to come to an end in order to bring their souls to God permanently. The ceremonial laws taught them that they would never exceed a temporary ceremonial presence of God. That's all that those ceremonies would do for them. A temporary ceremonial presence of God. They are ceremonially cleansed, which allows God to be in the presence of the people in a ceremonial way, a Shekinah way. That is, uh, a way that all could see the presence of God above the tabernacle, whether in cloud or whether in fire. All could see Him. Even the enemies of God could see Him. But sin is a constant defiler. They can never achieve a clear conscience, a conscience that would be cleared forever. They would never achieve that. Their conscience is always defiled at the very next sin. But what does the Scriptures tell us about the atoning work of Christ that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father and He'll forgive us and that our sins are completely atoned for. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 3, but in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. So the writer actually establishing the fact that the continual sacrifices are of a constant reminder that sin is never going to go away on a permanent basis. These shadows only provide a temporary and ceremonial presence of God. They only provide something that will pass away. These ceremonially performed sacrifices point to Christ and His perfect and complete sacrifices. Cast your eyes away from what is ceremonially done and keep them upon Christ. And verse number 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So finally, to the Jewish ear, the writer has let the hammer fall, and just lets them know straight out and straight up that these things cannot take away their sins. If you have ever hear of a doctrine, or of a system of theology, or anything that says something along these lines, you know God saved people differently in the Old Testament. There was a dispensation in which God saved people by the animal sacrifices. But now it's different. He's improved upon it, and now we only have to have faith. But one day, God will come back and put a temple up, and then they'll have a little brief period in which God will save people by sacrifices again. That stuff is wrong. It is dishonoring to Christ. Mm -hmm. It is not scriptural. Mm -hmm. Put that away. The blood of bulls and goats will never save a human soul. Mm -hmm. Never. These sacrifices just don't take away sins. The message that the Jews now receive, that they are as vulnerable to sin as anyone else. Those animals don't do a thing for them. They must look to Christ as all do. They point only to Christ, and by pointing to Christ, He is seen as supremely sufficient, indeed perfect and complete. So in our continual pointing to Christ, the writer is providing a foundation for the permanent, everlasting, atoning work of Christ. So let's go on to the application of these things. As we said before, salvation can be seen in justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is a work of God where Christ lived the life we should have lived, did what we should have done. And passively, He did, by dying on the cross, pay for our sin. And these things are imputed to us and they cannot be improved upon. We are not part of the equation in making it work. But in our sanctification, we are still not the ones that make it work, but we are actively involved in it. It is part of the daily repentance. It is part of the idea that we now have a reason that we can tell the truth to ourselves that God will forgive that sin within you. God has found it, and He loved you while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And you have this hope, that the struggle that we have right now in this world, where we struggle with our sin, one day, that struggle will end with God giving us a new body. And everything, the complete work of God, the perfect work of God, will be done, and we will be in His presence ready to glorify Him forever. So this completeness of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ provides a courage and a strength of heart for genuine sanctification. I want to read from Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30, these words. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I mentioned before that we are justified, sanctified, glorified. And I chose this particular passage of Scripture because it actually mentions all three. And you may say, well... I saw the word justification, and I saw the word glorification, but I did not see the word sanctification. Well, the word sanctification is given there by its definition. And we read this phrase, predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That is the process of sanctification. Now the very phrase, the image of His Son, is revealing, is it not? Mm. If we go back to the law of Moses and understand how it teaches us who God is and what we should and should not do, one of those very important things is that we should not make an image of God. Right? The scriptures tell us this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. This is the second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath for that is in the water under the earth thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for i am the lord thy god am a jealous god visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them who love me and keep my commandments so there is a very clear statement that god does not want us to make an image of anything now when he says in heaven and in earth and under the sea it, that, that implies this, you know, don't make a, a, an image of a crocodile and worship it. Don't make an image of something you think God looks like and worship that. Don't make an image of, of some bull or, or, a, or a calf and worship it. There is no image that God wants you to use your imagination to make. Because God is spirit and truth. Now, it says, interestingly enough, that we are going to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, you say, well, that's an amazing thing. We're not to make any images. Well, you know what? We didn't make that. God sent His Son. God sent His Son. He is the image of the Holy God. And now we shall be made into the image of Christ. Read these words. He, no, this is in Hebrews chapter 8. We've already done this, but He, or who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God, that when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he, he says this, Thou shalt make all things according to the pattern to thee in the mount. And in Exodus we have God giving him that command, we see that you make them after the pattern for them which is being shown on the mount. Now, I said that to make this clear. The things that are in the tabernacle is not a breaking of this commandment. The things that Moses did were made after a pattern. They are not the image of things in heaven. They're not. They're not the image of things in heaven. We do not have a table of big loaves of bread in heaven that we now have little loaves of bread in a tabernacle or a temple. He did not, God did not tell Moses, make that image. No, he says, I'm going to show you a pattern. The pattern represents truth. The bread of heaven is not a loaf of bread. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. The candelabra is not the light that shows us the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. The pattern shows the truth. These are not images of things in heaven. They are patterns. And so there is no breaking of this law. The things that Moses built and had built are not images of things in heaven. They were patterns that represented the real spiritual true things. And these things that are in heaven do not look like candlesticks and do not look like loaves of bread. They are, in essence, the Lord Jesus Christ. So even when the Pharisees tried to trip up the Lord with a trick question about taxes, the idea of an image came up, didn't it? Did they not ask our Lord, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And then what did the Lord say? Show me a penny. This is in Luke chapter 20. Show me a penny whose image and superscription hath it. And they answered and said, Caesar's. Now isn't that interesting that the Romans had no problem making an image of their God. They put it on their money. And no doubt Caesar had no problem having his image put on those coins. He probably liked it very much. But the Jews never had an image of their God and their money, did they? Because they were forbidden to have that type of image. But what do we have in Christ? He is the image of God. We read these things in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You see, man at the beginning was made in the image of God. The God does not have these body parts. It is the heart and soul. And Christ, when He became flesh, He became man for our sakes, that He might live as a man should have lived, but He was God, and He is the image of God. He is the true image of God. He is God. And therefore, there is an image that we need to become like. In Colossians 1.15, it describes Christ who is the image of the invisible God, and that in itself should give you some clues. How can you have an image of something that is invisible? It is that of the heart. It is that of the heart. The firstborn of every creature, that is, new creature made in Christ. In Hebrews 1.3 we read again about Christ, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power when He had by Himself purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. You see, He is the expressed image of His person. In Romans 8, 29, we'll read that again. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so this in itself is a wonderful metaphor. But sometimes it's not even a metaphor. Sometimes it's just a direct statement of truth. The very revealing way of pointing us to the truth of how God is setting us apart from this world is that he is making us like his son. The very idea of the word sanctification means to set apart for a holy purpose and use. And we have been set apart by the working of God in touching a man's heart and making him alive. Seeing God for who he is and his sin for what it is. His faith in Christ. Nothing can make a man more different than he was before than having faith in Christ, repenting from sin. And so in this work of the Holy Spirit and making us like Christ has made us separate from this world. We are said to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. The scripture speaks of it in that way. And we all know we have seen seals, right? The great seal of the state of Florida. You know, if you had any type of legal documents, somebody will, will you know, take this document, it'll take a little crimper thing and it'll crimp that document. It'll have a raised seal on it with a picture. Well, Seals have been like that for a long time. It used to be one time where documents were actually given uh, a seal. Perhaps wax would be poured on it that's melted and, per- and, a- and a seal would be pressed into it to have the image to display the authority of the one that is writing in that document. And sometimes it'll, they'll, they'll put wax on, on the edges where it seals it up and said, this seal says that it can only be opened by perhaps someone or It's just saying that I have the authority to say what I've said within that document. But it has an image. Now, when we have the work of the Holy Spirit upon us, where He presses upon our hearts, the law of God, as it says in Jeremiah, that I will write my laws upon their heart, it is the law of Christ being pressed upon us, where now we love the law of Christ, And we say, Is there anything more beautiful than the law of Christ that we may love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and our brother as ourselves? These things makes the law given to Moses come alive and makes it clear that we hold these things in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit pressing them upon our souls that we may become like Christ. So, How does this help us in our sanctification? How does this bring us closer to God? And the answer is this. We are now brave enough to have the holy law of Christ shine into our hearts to uncover all sin without fear of condemnation. You see, you don't have to say, well, there are certain parts of my house I don't want you to see. We don't have to say to God, there are certain things in my life that uh, we would have a better relationship if you didn't know about. But you see, total justification of our sins. Now, with the impressed work of the Spirit upon us, to love what is holy, to have what is precious, to say, will you come into every place? Will you come into the places where, in the past, I have even denied that they existed? I even lied to myself. I even flattered myself to think that they were not there. But allow the light of the law of God in the hands of Christ with his justifying work. Open those doors. Go into the very closed, dark closets that you have not even been yourself because you don't like what's there. That black box that you like to keep shut. God wants all of you. He wants all. All of your heart. He wants you to be released from sin that you have even denied to yourself that you're involved in. He wants you to deny yourself and follow Him. He wants you to have the courage and the bravery to stop flattering yourself and to live a holy life. Because God, who is holy, justified you while you were yet a sinner that he may come and save you from sin, save you from the power of sin within you. God has justified us, so therefore let us set ourselves apart, looking forward to the day when our fight with sin will be over with a glorified body. Mm -hmm. Let us not stop growing in grace, but let us continue. Let us prepare for eternity. Let us continue to constantly pray for the glory of God to be achieved in the sight of the entire world. Let us constantly pray that the glory of God will be achieved in the sight of the ones you love. And let us pray that the glory of God will be achieved so that He can receive the glory that He deserves in front of His creation. And so I say this, our salvation is perfect and it is complete. The things given to Moses were just shadows. But truth and grace came by the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Let us embrace the truth to have the courage to daily repent and be in his presence holding on to the hope that our Lord comes back and he'll come back with a new body and he'll give us the same body like it. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we ask now that your gospel be made clear and plain. We pray, Lord, that your truth will enter into the hearts of people, that it would bless your people, it would strengthen them, give them courage to live and to repent daily, to have holy lives. And may those who have no life now, may their eyes be cast upon Christ. And may they see the awful sin that is binding them, that keeps them in death. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would quicken them, break the dominion of sin over them, and bring them, Father, out of the darkness and into the light. Mm -hmm. Give them courage of heart. And may we all rest in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name.